Hello everyone, my name is Alex Kay. I'm an M&A partner at Herbert Smith Freehills in London. And I'm Kyriakos Funtukakos. I'm a partner in our competition regulation and trade team uh, and based in Brussels. So welcome to the latest episode in our podcast series, where we're looking at M&A in 2020. We published our 2020 Global MA report at the beginning of January, which hopefully you'll see, but if not, you can find it on our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com. The report looks at four themes we expect to feature prominently in dealmaking this year. Environmental, social and governance issues, otherwise known as ESG, public to private bids, political intervention in M&A and deal disruption. And today we're going to be talking about the last of these, deal disruption. So we've seen that deal execution continues to be challenging, and it's as important as ever to plan carefully for the risk of intervening events, and in particular disruption between signing and closing. M&A transactions can face disruption on a variety of fronts. Interventionist governments, antitrust regulators, who seem to have an ever-increasing appetite to exert their powers, and also from the company's own shareholders – Added to that, in many cases, is the possibility of a competitor intervening one way or the other in a transaction. We're talking about political intervention in another podcast, so we wanted to start with antitrust regulators. But first, Kyriakos, I wanted to ask you, talking about antitrust regulators as distinct from political intervention, is that realistic or do the two things go hand in hand? Well, thanks, Alex. That's a very good question. I think it depends on the jurisdiction and regulator, you know, authority. So many times people ask, is this regulator prone to political intervention, political influence when they analyze a merger case? I would say that it does depend on the regulator on the country. But for example, at EU level, you know, Brussels, uh, the European Commission with DG Competition, the relevant department that deals with these cases, is very independent. There will be lobbying by governments and the parties and states stakeholders, third parties, etc., but they are very resistant to political intervention. The test that they will apply is a pure competition test under the EU merger regulation, and we saw how they do this recently in the Siemens and Alstom case, for example. There was very heavy lobbying and pressure by Uh, the parties and obviously two of the biggest countries, governments in the EU, France and Germany. But DG Competition and the European Commission stayed their ground and blocked the deal despite the political intervention. So I would say that overall, yes, there is increasing awareness of political issues, of industrial policy issues. Uh, The competition from non-EU, for example, China in that case, state-owned enterprises. But Uh, The regulators, at least the sophisticated regulators like the European Commission, will do the analysis on competition grounds, law and economics. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. And I won't, in this public forum, ask you to call out the one, the regulators who are less, less independent. But what I would like to know is what you're seeing more generally and how parties can reduce the risk that they may face on a deal. Sure. So we have been saying this for a couple of years now, and it is in the report that we issued recently, but antitrust regulators continue to have a very strong appetite and resources to intervene in transactions. There are many ways they can do that and they can disrupt a deal. So preparation is key. There are three points I would like to raise today. One is how tough regulators have become on the substance of analyzing deals. The second point that I will speak about is how tough they have become on procedures and jurisdictional reach. 
And then the third one is globalization and how many different regulators companies have to face around the world. So starting with the first point, substance and their analysis, regulators are really getting tougher uh, on their analysis of deals. They do not seem to be deterred at all by any criticism that they are being overly interventionist. For example, uh, as I mentioned just now, the European Commission in particular will not hesitate to intervene even in very politically charged deals. We saw that with the Siemens-Alstom case that I mentioned, and it shows that they will do their analysis and they will prohibit a transaction when they believe that this is justified by the competition analysis. Likewise, in the UK, the CMA is becoming increasingly interventionist, in my view, The UK, as we all know, still has a voluntary regime, but the CMA very actively monitors merger activity. And a high proportion of their investigations actually are based on intelligence picked up by its merger intelligence committee. And these are deals that were not not notified by the parties that the CMA calls in for investigation and they do this very actively. I think you will probably be aware of this, but there's a recent example, uh, Takeaway.com's Just Eat acquisition, uh, which saw the CMA intervene at the very last minute, unexpectedly actually, deciding to investigate the deal uh, where it had previously considered that it not it did not warrant an investigation. I think the parties made an announcement about this uh, and said that they may well disrupt the timetable for the deal. Uh, and even though the CMA regime is non-suspensory, i.e. the parties can close if they want to, uh, the CMA did put a spanner in the works by starting this investigation and may well decide to impose a whole separate order before they can allow to, to actually merge their operations. So that's one issue, that regulators are interventionist uh, and they can disrupt deals in this way by intervening, uh, analyzing a deal, even blocking it. The, the second point when it comes to substance analysis is remedies. Like what do regulators do when they do find problems and they want to correct the problem via a divestiture of assets? I think it's fair to say that remedies are becoming much heavier too with increasing use of upfront buyer, fix it first remedies. These are remedies basically designed to ensure that the parties cannot close their main deal before they have found a suitable purchaser for the divestiture assets uh, and signed an SPA with that purchaser, which is approved by the regulator. So that disrupts and delays the main deal uh, before that can close. There is also increasing focus, I think, by regulators on specific hot topics uh, and sectors, and this is always shifting. Right now, tech deals, technology deals are in the spotlight. Any deal involving the acquisition of a tech startup that could be seen as a potential competitor to the bigger established acquirer uh, is likely, in my view, to be scrutinized closely by regulators, both in the UK uh, and and EC level and elsewhere. Uh, And the same goes for deals involving big data. So one example, uh, quickly, we saw the European Commission do an in-depth investigation of Apple's acquisition of Shazam because of alleged concerns involving the use of Shazam's data by Apple. Uh, The deal was ultimately cleared unconditionally, but there was a delay and an in-depth investigation. The second broad point I wanted to raise was jurisdictional reach and procedures, because these are also getting tougher. 
fines are now commonly imposed for gun jumping conduct, uh, also for the provision of incorrect or misleading or late information by the parties, and for breaches in the UK uh, of hold separate undertakings. It's therefore very important to assess and make sure that you comply with the rules, even in cases that do not seemingly raise substantive competition concerns, just purely from a procedural perspective. And also be ready, because the procedures are very tough now, to produce lots of internal documents. We see the European Commission, for example, routinely now requesting millions of internal documents in the more complicated cases, and they place great emphasis on reviewing the internal documents for their analysis. The third point uh, I wanted to raise was globalization. So often businesses, companies, bankers, when they analyze deals, they think of the main global regulators, say the European Union and the United States, the UK, uh, other major authorities. But these days, merger control laws are everywhere, basically. There are more than, I don't know, 100 plus countries that have merger control laws, and most of them are mandatory laws. Regulators are talking to each other, so it's very important to have a consistent approach for international deals and have a a global filing strategy up front. I often advise clients in these international deals and we always start by mapping out a global filing strategy. Where do you need to file? What's the timetable? How do you play uh, the strategy? What does this all mean uh, at the end of the day for deals and disruption? I think Even though you will not be able to avoid all problems, preparation is key to minimize risk. The parties need to be thinking about antitrust from the outset uh, of any deal. Unfortunately, the review processes, as I said, are invariably long, complex and costly, but at least with early planning and also good engagement early on with the regulators, uh, you can smooth the process and this can go a long way to ensuring you minimize disruption to the deal on the timetable. So what we always advise is that right from the start, uh, companies and their their advisors, financial advisors, should be assessing regulatory risk across the world, think about any risks and potential pitfalls, substantive issues that the deal will raise, and what remedies may be acceptable, both to the parties and to the regulators, to avoid long investigations and get the deal through in, in phase one. And then also, uh, very important, pull all the relevant documentation together early on so that you are ready to file quickly uh, and run the process much more smoothly. And I think with, with this good preparation, you can at least ensure that you minimize disruption, uh, even though the process will still be uh, heavy in the very complicated deals. Thanks, Kyriakos. Being prepared, clearly the key message and one I'll come on to touch on as well, actually. I mean, moving on to shareholders, and as with antitrust, we've said this before, activism, shareholder activism is increasing and continues to do so around the world. Almost half of activist campaigns that we've been monitoring have an M&A theme, and that could be calling for a company to break itself up or sell itself, demanding a higher price on live deals, that's known as bumpetrage, or seeking to scupper a deal altogether. And also we've seen activists making a deal them, themselves, going in and thinking we can do this better, so we're going to raise the capital and buy the company or the target. And it's not just established activists who are having an impact on M&A. Increasingly, traditional institutional shareholders are making their views heard, uh, particularly on deals which are subject to shareholder votes, and often either publicly or privately supporting or teaming up with activists. 
So I suppose the question is, what can parties do to reduce the risk of shareholders disrupting a deal? Well, the starting point is listening to analysts and market feedback um, and keeping an eye on the share register for the emergence of an activist. Um, A good communication strategy can help, as can sounding out shareholders ahead of a transaction where that's permitted by the regulatory regime to get their views and check they are on side with the transaction and its terms. And I'd I'd say on this that what's really, really important is you get a proper read of what shareholders say. I've been involved in several situations where there has been those attempts to get the views of shareholders in advance, and that communication has not been perfect. Either the shareholder wasn't up front, maybe the recipient company didn't read between the lines, heard the message it wanted to hear rather than exactly the level of support, objection or ambivalence that was being communicated. So the thing I'd say is make sure that that process is done fulsomely um, and that where possible shareholders are pressed. Now obviously the best thing to do um, is get a irrevocable undertaking or a letter of support from a shareholder to confirm they'll support the deal. Some will be constitutionally unable to do that some will just be philosophically unwilling to do that but even if you can't get the piece of paper having the conversation seeking that piece of paper often will get you a fuller a sort of a richer understanding of their appetite for the deal than, than the conversations which often happen and that then can't be relied upon the next thing to touch on really is interlopers um, irrevocables can obviously help deter an interloper If a shareholder is legally bound in to support a transaction, they may be prevented from supporting a competing one. If they've publicly supported it, even if not legally, they will certainly be morally or reputationally supporting you. Um, An extended timetable makes it easier for an interloper to come along and disrupt a transaction, and so irrevocables may be the only way to bind a shareholder for a specified period of time. It's also worth thinking about whether a break fee could help in these circumstances. Obviously, it's, there's a question of whether it's commercially acceptable to the parties to put one in place. There may be local legal regulatory restrictions or requirements. But if one can be agreed, it really should help to turn into Lopa and keep the parties focused on the original transaction rather than constantly exploring optionality. I totally agree with that. And from an antitrust perspective, of course, where a break fee can be agreed, you know, antitrust risk and analysis will play a role in negotiating that break fee up front at the beginning of the deal. Similarly, with clauses relating to remedies like hello high water clauses and, and the like, uh, that's where the upfront antitrust analysis can help uh, when, when you put together documentation of that sort where that is allowed. So I think it brings me back to the point I made that preparation is key and that it's best to do it early on and upfront and make sure that you do take the antitrust process into consideration at the beginning of the deal to try to minimize the transaction timetable and in turn, therefore, reduce the risk of disruption by others, be it shareholders or competitors prior to completion. Yeah, I think that's completely right. Obviously, when one's trying to get to signing on a deal, one's focused on the positive and there's a lot to do. But actually doing this kind of thinking, maybe not at one's leisure, because it really feels like that, but certainly in private means it's a lot easier to do it and work through the the possibilities and the mitigants rather than being on the back foot when presented one, with one of these challenges. 
I think that's all we really wanted to talk about deal disruption today. Um, thanks, Kyriakos, for joining me. And um, thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you found it interesting. Uh, do visit our website, herbertsfreehills.com, where you can download the report that we, I mentioned um, and listen to the other podcasts in this series. Thanks from us both. Thank you very much.